Welcome to the Gold Missions Inc. podcast. The following is episode two in a six-part series on the history of the church by Terry Miller. This episode is called His Story, Part Two. If you'll turn with me to um, Peter's Gospel, not Peter's Gospel, the uh, uh, second epistle of Peter, second Peter, chapter one. Is giving us an, a Peter again, same Peter, is giving us an exhortation, speaking to the church. He says, "Wherefore, in verse ten, chapter one, verse ten of Second Peter, wherefore the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure." For if you do this, or do these things, you shall never fall. See, a lot of times we say, it's too hard. We say like old Elder Earl Henry, I wish so much wouldn't have been given, brother. It's hard. The psalmist said, these things are too high for me. Can you identify with it? I sure can. These things, on a good day, they're great. But on one of those hard days, I know exactly what he does. These things are too high. They are too hard for me. And I cry out, what is man that thou art mindful of him? But he says, make your calling sure. You have a calling. Make your election your sure, your place in the body where God has set you in the body of Christ with your peculiar giftings and your peculiar ministry. Make it sure. You are not only called of God, you are chosen of God. And in the last, chosen for what? Chosen for the kingdom. Praise God. Chosen to rule. Chosen to reign. Chosen to have the audacity to believe that such a people can overcome all things. He declared it. He declared it. Hey, he declared it. Amen. It's the yea and it's the amen. A people who will overcome all things, he said, and they will sit with me in my throne, and I will give them power, that's authority, over the nations. Praise God. He's setting things in order. And he's beginning by beginning in a righteous remnant that he is raising up in each of these times of refreshing that have come. From the presence of the Lord. Hallelujah. I hope I'm not uh, up above your head. I don't think I am. I think we are hearing the voice. And he said, my sheep, they know my voice. And a stranger, they will not. 
Peter said, make it sure. Make your calling, your election sure. For if you do that, or if you do these things, in other words, give yourself wholly to the plan and purpose of God for your life. And if you do these things, you shall never fall. For so, for so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly. This is the abundant Christ. This is the generous God. This is the mighty one. Hallelujah. It'll be ministered, an entrance shall be ministered. In other words, a way shall be opened for you. An entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Wherefore, I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of those things. Now, some people say, well, the ministries repeat themselves all the time. Yes, we do. Yes, we're supposed to do that. So are you. It's a clarion call. Hallelujah. We've a story to tell to the nations. We need to stir up the gift of God that is within us. We have the privilege in such a mighty move of God as we have participated in. We have the privilege of building one another up. Building one another up in the Holy Ghost. We have the privilege as we minister one to another as the body of Christ ministers. We build one another up in the Holy Ghost. We dispense out of that gospel uh, volumes of it. We dispense Dispense the truths of the kingdom. We dispense the blessings of the kingdom. We dispense the blessings, the gifts of God and the ministry of the Holy Ghost. Why? So we can be lifted and built up together, taken from where we are to where He is. And I'm not just speaking of some place beyond the blue. I know where He is. He's here. Remember how Brother Wager used to say, I long to see Christ. But he didn't stop there. I long to see Christ in you. 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 That's the church. That's the church which is His if all there was to this thing was a bunch of doctrines and ideas and thoughts and, you know, religious stuff, I would be out of here right away. I hope you would too. I hope the place would be vacant. But that isn't what it is. It's the place from which the fountain is springing forth in the many-membered body of Christ. Hallelujah. 
praise His wonderful name. Oh, praise God. Praise God. Is a man ever going to get to any history? I think this is part of the story. It's part of His story. It'll take us right into where, we're, where we want to go to take a look at some of these moves of God and why they're important to us today. So he says in verse 12, Wherefore I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of those things, though we know them, and be established. I see this as an exhortation. I don't know if you do. I see this as an exhortation, almost like a prophetic call. It's certainly an apostolic mandate. Be established in the present truth. Help us, Lord. Be established, settled. Be established in the present truth. What is the present truth? The truth that God today is unveiling to His people. If you lived in the time of Martin Luther... That would be one level of understanding and it would be present truth. If you lived in the time of Holdrick Zwingli, you say, who in the world is that? Well, anyway, if you lived in the time of Holdrick Zwingli and, uh, and John Calvin, there was a present truth in John Knox in their time. If you lived in the time of Conrad Grable and Felix Mance and Georg Blauruch and Menno Simons and Jacob Hutter and oh my, 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 my. There was a present truth at that time. If you'd have lived in the time of George Fox and those quaking saints, I don't know, I always liked George Fox. He's the one from whom the Quaker movement sprang. He stood before the judges, simple fellow he was. He stood before the judges of England to give a testimony of the faith that was within him. For he had been a religious fellow like many of them, come from a long line of Anglicans, Church of England people, but was empty and full of confusion and, and uncertainty about everything. And one day he said, Jesus came. And he spoke, I like the, his words, he spoke to my condition. <laughs> Do you have a condition? <laughs> yes. Everybody has a condition. Praise God. And I don't just mean us as God's people. The whole world has a condition. You better believe it. He, Jesus, comes and he speaks to your and George Fox said, I knew it was him. I knew it was him. And then he quoted that scripture that I repeated from John's Gospel. This is the light that lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He said, I knew him. I knew I had been visited by him long before I knew who he was. But when he came, oh, I knew it was him. And I came fully alive. 
And so I have a testimony, he said. I have a story to tell. It brought him before the judges of his day, which was a very religious hour in England and in the earth. And as he began to testify, the anointing of the Holy Ghost in the courtroom came upon him, and it came upon the judges also. It was a bench of judges, Brother Smith. And they're all seated there. You can imagine those old British English judges with the big white wigs and all the rest of it and all the formality. And the anointing swept the courtroom and it took the judges. And, and our brother George Fox began to quake. He was beyond himself. Have you ever been out of your, out of yourself? Some of you need to get out of yourself a little more often. Hallelujah. He got out of himself and into God. (laughs) And no flesh could glory before this one. This mighty God, you could only shake (laughs) and quake. Remember that's what happened on the day of Pentecost. The wind, the rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting and it fell upon each of them. I was at a Hutterite funeral many years ago, and there was a whole row of women. And the most phenomenal thing happened. Somebody got up and said something spiritual, not religious, but something spiritual. And this whole row of women were sitting there, and the first woman, as that man said that word, which was an eternal word, she started, she shook like that. And we watched. And then the next one shook the same way. And the next one shook. And the next one shook. And the next one shook. The whole place shook. Nobody spoke in tongues, but he probably could have. It was a phenomenal thing. And the, the thing was, it just went one zap, one zap, one zap. This one was done being zapped as it moved to the next one. The next one was done. It was, it was a strangest thing. I still don't know what it was. But I know that somebody spoke by the Spirit of God truth. And when truth is spoken, whether you shake literally in the your whole being shakes and quakes in the power of the almighty anointing of heaven. George Fox stood there and started to shake. All of a sudden, the judges started to shake. And the chief judge He said, George Fox, he said, I don't know what it is that's within you, he said, but man, he said, you cause, take a look, he said, you cause even the judges to quake. From then on, they called him a Quaker. A lot of them called him the red-hot Quaker. Well, it was meant in a derogatory way, but he was. He was a firecracker. He was on fire. And I don't mean that in a silly, stupid way. I mean it in a real way. He was full of power. He was full of anointing. And all of England began to shake and quake under the power. And those authorities of the church said, we have to stop this thing. And so we throw the Quakers into jail. At one time, I read it in my notes today, 15,000 
Wakers were in the jails of England. And when William Penn came to America, the land of the free and the home of the brave, it seemed they were welcomed. But when they started to declare the word that God had given them, opposition rose even in America. You, you probably know this story, Dan. You've heard me say it. They arrested three of them, put them on trial in Massachusetts and in Boston Commons, where Harvard University is now situated. They strung them up. And one of them, a woman, was hung by her neck until she was dead. Sometimes, spiritual men and women simply need to speak truth and leave the results of God. You have to speak truth to power sometimes. Political action is not, not worth the time to spend on it. Now, don't get after me afterwards. I've been there. Wasted too much time there. See, if you think, put it this way, that if you think the answer lies in the political, you know, maneuverings and changing of offices and elections, elect, that's fine, I think it's your vote, don't misunderstand me. But to become a political activist in the name of Jesus, you'll miss it. You'll miss it. Sometimes you have, because it's a world of compromise. Sometimes the anointed of God simply has to speak truth. And you have to speak truth to power. Power begins to shake and quake too. And sometimes they throw you into a den of thieves. And you too. They string up as they did throughout history and still do today in many countries and many places. So we need to be established, however, in the present truth, in the unfolding revelation of the hour. We are cautioned not to come to that place where we are at ease in Zion, but rather to stir up the gift of God that is within us. So that our ministry, which flows out from your gift, that your ministry might be activated more fully and that you can fulfill the mission, ministry mission, that God has for you in this, our Father's world. I am very conscious, like most of you would be, if you have any age under your belt, as they say, or years behind you. I used to listen to a, I forget which one it was, one of those country singers that, uh, uh, who was a Christian. I'll think of him later. See, that's a sign of old age stealing on. But, uh, 
he used to say that, uh, he, he, he put it like this. He says, I'm conscious now, this is on in years, that I have more years behind me than I do ahead of me as far as, you know, this natural life is concerned. Next year, I will be, well, I've been a ministry, uh, a traveling uh, deacon in the ministry, in the church here, um, uh, since nine, 1970. So this is my 39th year as a traveling deacon. A lot of water is under the bridge. I remember I was thinking of the other day and I said to Ingrid, you know, all of the traveling elders who were in office, when I became a traveling deacon, only one of them is still functioning. The rest have either gone on to glory or they're no longer functioning in the office. And the only one who is a traveling elder when I became a traveling deacon who is still functioning in that office is Brother York. Brother Smith, Brother Wanagas, at that time were both traveling deacons. Amazing, isn't that? How quickly time moves on. I am conscious, like most people, next year I'll be eligible I'm not going to say, praise God, thank you, Jesus, but I will be eligible for the old age pension. Maybe I will say, thank God, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> A little extra in the pocket won't exactly hurt, amen? But I'm conscious that time moves on. And at the same time, I'm conscious that I really don't belong to time. This is just a little interim period, which we call life, all of us, is very short in comparison to the unending, isn't it? It's just a little blip. I can't believe I said that, but it is. It's just a little blip in the whole plan. But during that blip, which we call life, we have a responsibility to fulfill the mission, the ministry, and giftings that are uniquely ours, granted to us by the Father, as a part of this great plan of the age. Now, I believe that there's a people who will never die. That there's a people, hallelujah, who will be alive and remain under the coming of the Lord and enter not by the way of the grave, but will enter by the way of life in full sonship. I ain't there yet. But I can say like we heard Martin Luther King many years ago on the night before his death in Memphis. And he was addressing this great throng of people. 
And he said, I have been to the mountaintop. I have seen the promised land. And mine eyes have beheld the glory. And he told them to keep on. Press on. He said, in this life, I may not get there with you, but mine eyes have beheld the glory. I have been to the top of the mountain. Have you? Have you? I have. Sure have. I'm there right now. Hallelujah. Don't tell me I haven't been there. I'm there. I'm speaking in my spirit. I'm there. I can't go any higher than this, can I, Lord? He says, watch me. <laughs> Wait and see. Hallelujah. I feel that way. My eyes have seen the promised land. Mine eye, I'm speaking in my spiritual eyes. My eyes have beheld the glory. Hallelujah. Whether I am alive and remain under the coming of the Lord, I do not know, but I would like to be. But I know this, whether I'm, I live or whether I die, I am the Lord. Is there an amen in the house? I'm going to do one of those Brother Crawford things pretty soon. Take off running. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, saints. We've been to the mountaintop. Our eyes have beheld the glory. Where do we go from here? Keep on keeping on. Press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ. What a church. Hallelujah. What a move of God's Spirit. You may not express it exactly the way I express it. But I'm being me. And I can promise you I'm being real. And that's all that God wants of you is to be who you are in Him. Hallelujah. And to be real. There's no hocus pocus, no... Uh-uh. Uh-uh. No show to be put on. Too old to put on a show anymore. I feel the the weakness of the old body. Yeah. The old Hutterites used to sing a song in the funerals, Old Age is Stealing On. And then when I was 17, I thought, Oh Lord, the grave is staring at me right now. You know. Not realizing that whether I'm young, whether I'm old, whether I live, whether I die, I'm the Lord's. But the Father has placed His hand upon me and He has upon each of you. And He has a plan for your life. You are very special to God. Hallelujah. You, each and every one of you, young or old, you are very special to God. You are so unique that 
Only to God you could be special. <laughs> no, I don't mean that. <laughs> Sometimes I feel that way about myself. What a goofball I say to myself that I am. Why can't I be more serious like they were in the old church? That's why I don't have you in the old church, she's telling me. That's why I have placed you where I have placed you in the midst of people who can understand you and people who can help you and give you strength. You know, with all due respect to God, there is strength for the journey that we draw from one another. And really, you know what it is. It's Christ in you. Hallelujah. We feed on one another in this sense that Christ is in you. Christ is in me. And that which is of God that is in you, I need that. That which is of God that is in me, you need that. No matter what age you may be, blessed be our Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. I didn't even get my first page. Let me look at a couple of my notes here. We want this, I wrote to myself, we want this to be a spiritual overview in light of God's eternal purpose. He's calling out, and in the sense throughout all of the ages, He's been calling out, He's calling out a body of people. The ecclesia. Ecclesia, I think actually it's pronounced from the Greeks. I am not a Greek scholar. I can read till all night if I don't watch myself. I'm I'm a reader. But I'm not a Greek scholar. I don't know the scriptures in the original languages. Do I wish I did? I, I wish I did, but I don't. But I have known people who are Greek scholars, and they have been very precious to me. When I was quite young, um, very young, probably 19, 20, I had the privilege to live in the home uh, of a man in Georgia and his wife, uh, Dr. Clarence Jordan. I'm sure you've heard me mentioned Dr. Jordan so many times, you're wondering who is this guy anyway. Dr. Jordan was a, um, a Greek scholar. He was a translator of the New Testament. He was so fluent in Greek, in uh, New Testament Greek. See, I didn't know this. Like we say, Greek is Greek to me. You know how we say that. Well, he said Greek isn't just Greek. He said the New Testament was written in Koine Greek, K-O-I-N-E, Koine Greek. Not in the Greek that Greeks speak today. If you spoke the Greek of Greece today, you may not be able to read the Greek scriptures as they were written because of the changes in the language. But Koine Greek, he said, was the Greek of the, of the common person of the common man. And he said sometimes it just kind of blows the scholars' minds that the Scriptures would be written in such earthy, common 
language and not in that of the the highly scholared uh, men of the day. I can understand that because it's to the ordinary man, to the common man that Jesus came. When He brought forth those first apostles, they were ordinary men who had a lot of darkness in their past. And when the Spirit of God looked upon them and hovered over them and brooded over them and said, let there be light, they came out of their darkness. Some were smelly fishermen. One was a, pardon my way of saying it, but he was a nasty old tax collector. Well, I guess two more amens out of you. But <laughs> you know what I mean? He was a despised man. Another was a proto-revolutionary. All kind of characters. Something like this bunch that's in this room tonight. See, we're called to be a peculiar people. I heard a brother say one time, you are the most peculiar bunch that I ever laid eyes on. And I'm quoting my own self. I've said that so many times. Just to get their attention. But peculiar in God's understanding of peculiar is a little different than odd and weird and different. Something special He saw in you. Something unique that He saw in you. And He said, I can do something with this one. I can do something with that one. This is my material. This is my, my, my building. And I'm going to build them up together in the Holy Ghost. Jesus said, I will Build them. I will build my church, he said, and the gates of hell will not prevail against this church, this house. Hallelujah. That I am building. Dr. Jordan was a translator of the scriptures. Uh, I never seen anything like it. I've seen other great scholars, but I've never seen anything like this one. He spoke one time in Brooklyn, South Dakota at the university the State University of South Dakota. And he was supposed to tell about the civil rights movement and all those kind of things and Martin Luther King and all that, which we were all involved in at that time. And, uh, but he said, I want to talk to you today, he said, about what motivates people like me. And then he quoted from the Scriptures where Jesus said that this Gospel, that's the first time I ever encountered that kind of thinking, that this Gospel of the Kingdom, he said, must be preached as a witness to all nations. He said, you know, Jesus came and He went everywhere preaching that message, the gospel of the kingdom. And He told the people, people like you, He'd say, just like you. He said, repent. The kingdom of God is at hand. And then Clarence would translate it directly from the Greek in the common language of the common people. Repent, as the King James says, the kingdom of, of God is at hand. Clarence translated it, change your whole way of living. Change your whole way of thinking. That's how he talked. He wasn't a black man, but he talked like one. He said, change your whole way of living. Change your whole way of thinking. Repent. In other words, turn around. For the kingdom of God is at hand. 
And then he translates that for the new order of God's Spirit is confronting you. Yikes! That was powerful word. And he was reading it to them. And somebody came up afterwards and they said, Dr. Jordan, what translation are you reading from anyway? And he, you, you have to, there's something else. He held in this and he showed it to them. And there wasn't any English in it. It was all Greek. And he would read to them scripture after scripture after scripture. Not in Greek, but translated into English as he read it. Now, that's what you call a Greek scholar. But I've also known Greek scholars that are wackos. So that's obviously that's not the answer. How do we get into all this trouble in the Christendom and the church world? Too many scholars who thought they knew what the Scriptures were saying. Theologians. The only way we know anything is by the revelation of the Holy Spirit. And God in His goodness has brought us, I'm speaking of the body of Christ, has brought us a mighty long way. I wanted to talk in these meetings about the origination of the church, what it was like in the beginning. I wanted to talk about the deterioration that set in the time of apostasy that reared its uh, times of apostasy that reared its ugly head from time to time. I wanted to talk about, and I guess I am, about the restoration, you see, and the ultimate destination of that body of Christ that is arising in the earth, not only today, but from all of the ages. The corporate body of Christ. It is His story. And His story is the story, and I hope you can really personalize this, of our people. These people. Martin Luther. Oh, George Fox. Shaken like a shaker. Quaking away there. Georg Blauruch who said the Bible says that believers alone spoke truth to power. He said, stop baptizing those babies. He said, the Bible says, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. And he taught believers' baptism. And they ran Georg Blauruck out of town. Felix Mance arose and began to baptize. I think it was 30-some people that night. Speaking truth to power. We must obey the Lord. You know what they did with Felix Mance? They arrested Felix Mance. This was in Switzerland. And they took him out into the river, bound and gagged. And they said, your days of baptizing are over. And they threw him overboard. And he drowned a martyr's 
death. These are our people. Our people. Your people. The Hutterites and Amish that I grew up among always use that term, Unserleut. Our people. That means everybody else ain't our people. Just our people. You know, our Unserleut. Our people. That's how they say don't think. All due respect to them. Our people, you know, our people do this and our people do that. All right. I've heard enough of those folks. I am talking about Unserleuta. I am talking about our people, the people of the living God because of the price they paid, because of the sacrifice they made, and because of their faithfulness, we are where we are tonight, facing the most beautiful future that a man or a woman could ever imagine. Martin said, I may not get there with you in this life, Mine eyes have seen the glory. I have been to the top of the mountain. I have seen the promised land. You know what happened the next day? As he stood on the steps of the Lorraine Motel, a crazy man took aim. And his life was over. I was very young at that time. I was very involved, heavy in the civil rights movement as a young man in the southern United States. We thought our world had come to an end. But I never forgot it. I have been to the mountaintop. Mine eyes have beheld the glory. And I say to you tonight, that that can be your testimony in a greater dimension yet. The dimension of the gospel of the kingdom. Mine eyes have beheld the glory. I have been to the mountaintop. Lord, the journey ain't over yet. I just want to keep on keeping on. Because I know the best. Oops, throwing my notes around here. The best is yet to come. His mind, I wrote to myself this afternoon, His mind is to present the church as a glorious church, a bride without spot, blemish, or wrinkle. The blueprint is laid down for us in the Holy Scripture. The revelation of the Spirit is not to bring extra-biblical revelation, but to enlighten the Word of God. Things that at one time were hidden to us because of our immaturity as we press on in God and in the times of refreshing that have come from God, brighter light has been shown on the pathway. And we've seen things more perfectly. Brighter, brighter, Clearer and clearer. And I think it's going to be like that. Right up into that perfect day.
One last thing. In the Sharon Star, <clears throat> January 1st, 1948. I was just paging today and, and I saw this. And one of the ministries of the hour wrote, Even today, the church of the Bible is a mystery to many. He was talking about Christendom, which is not necessarily, is not biblical Christianity. Christendom is a man-made system and order that we call denominationalism. Denominationalism speaks of being denominated or divided. Division. The word itself means that. He said even today the church of the Bible that which we've talked about tonight is a mystery to many. What is normally known as the church by even the average Christian of today is not the church of the Bible, but merely a religious organization. If this world is ever going to see Jesus, it won't be through religion. It'll be through the proclamation of the gospel of the kingdom in a living body of people, the house of God in the church. Brother Taranjo, a friend of Brother Aldridge's old friend, also a friend of mine. And I think Brother Smith met, met Brother Taranjo in North Carolina. He has a little chorus. I'm not a singer, so I won't even try. But his words that God gave him go like this. God is building a house in which creation shall dwell. These rooms are God's mansions. They've been delivered from hell. Prepared for the ages. Prepared for the ages. His purpose to be. God is building a house with you and with me. Hallelujah. Amen. Thank you for your attention. May your day tomorrow be a blessed one. If you would like more information about the moving of God's Spirit or resources for your spiritual life, please visit our website at www.globalmissionsinc.org.